Thanks for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church at East Toledo as we look again at the second part of Hannah's song. God bless you today. The message entitled, God Knows. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. we got the volleyball net set up. 
archery. Uh, we tested it out yesterday. Uh, the only thing is if I can grab a few more, I've got, just got six arrows right now, if I can grab a few more arrows, you know, that'd be great. And then if you have a cornhole set, please bring it, uh, or, or a set of beanbags at least. Uh, we're going to try to hunt down another set of beanbags so we can get, or into a, it's going to be like a round-robin tournament, so it's not going to be like the whole bracket plays and then narrow it down, narrow it down, because not everybody will be there necessarily the whole time. So if you're only, if you know you're only going to be there for the first few hours, then you need to get your games in the best you can during that time to get enough wins under your belt so you might potentially win. That's how that's going to go. Okay? And then the scavenger hunt is in place, so we're going to pray that it doesn't rain before the first team goes in a scavenger hunt. There's a small, only a small chance of praying it doesn't happen because the, the clues are out all over my yard and stuff right now. And so, and they're made of paper. <laughs> so praying that that won't happen. Um, I ask you to pray for a few folks specifically this morning as we pray in a moment. Uh, number one, pray for Jason Wellington. Maybe these are in no particular order. He's got a stomach thing going on, maybe a stomach flu or got food poisoning or something. But the fact that he thinks it's a stomach flu or food poisoning tells you right there that it is a very yucky stomach situation. And so pray for him. He's not going to be able to be joining us today. And then uh, we have a former member of ours whom we love. Uh, who is in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and just struggling with some stuff, emotionally, psychologically, to pray for that person. Uh, and then when and if we know more, we'll let you know more down the road about that, pray for them. And then um, RJ and Alicia pulled in here to the church building today, parked in their customary spot, and as they did so, their radiator broke. And so RJ is out trying to deal with that a little bit now, and, uh, and so pray for them that that comes together smoothly. And then, did you have any you'd like to add to the list? Who am I missing? Obviously. Tony Tate's on his way here. Jamie? Jamie's mom, surgery Thursday. And that's a, for removal? Okay. Wow, that's a pretty big deal. Okay, definitely praying for her. Uh, that's Thursday, my Sabbath day. That'll be easy. I do a lot of praying on that day, so easy for me to remember it that day. Anybody else have one you'd like to call out? Um, you may or may not know her, um, but there's a young lady in our, who's in our youth group. Um, last night she, she was at a friend's house, and um, they, they told her she needed to go home to her house. And they found her this morning sleeping outside on the side of the house, like outside of the house. So I'm not going to name her because I don't want to embarrass her or anything like that, but if you pray for her while they try to sort out the situation, um, I don't know if she ran away from home essentially, or was just paying her parents, or whatever, but she literally slept outside on the side of the house all night. And so that's not a good situation. Okay? And then, um, Karina's grandpa, she's not here to say it this morning, but he's at home on hospice, and uh, you know they they think he may die anytime, um, but they're holding out hope that that's not the case. And so nothing says he absolutely has to die soon, but his health is really, really not good. He's got multiple things. The biggest thing is which he just essentially can't eat. He's on his stomach too, and they keep having trouble with it. Um, and then they had a hospice nurse who was coming every day to make sure it worked, and a neighbor of theirs uh, attacked physically the hospice nurse. And the person who lives down the road or across the street or whatever. And so now they could they can't get a hospice nurse to come to the house. And they're back trying to find a hospice nurse that will help take care of her. She has a hard time doing that. And she has degenerative disc disease in her back. She's really bad. She's had multiple surgeries. And so it's hard for her to do anything physical. 
So that's Karina's grandma and grandpa. I can't think of his first name. That's a shame right now. Okay? And then, I name these names. Jennifer Kelly of 331 Cyril Street. She's right over there. Yep. Tracy and Donald Elsept. Edison Kendall. Uh, Tracy and Donald live at 329 Cyril. And Edison lives at 319. Jill Schaefer was at 319. And Jeannie and Alexander Perrick live at 317. And by the way, he told you, if you're from East Lido, you may remember Jean. Okay? You may remember Jean from East Lido. Yeah. She was sparse leader, was a sparse director for a while. Did a lot back then. Okay? Some of us learned Bible versions off the lap. Not me. I'm not that young. So, okay. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'll also uh, take this uh, listed prayer that they've given us here and pray for the folks that we listen to. And I'm going to add some stuff I've said about our folks. And then this verse that I'll quote as I'm praying. We're going to come back to it as an inspirational moment time and meditate on it a little bit together because it's really powerful. Okay? Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the way that you bless us. We know that we are in the midst of great trials and tribulation in our country, and where it goes from the very top to what someone might get to the very bottom, and yet we are blessed immeasurably. I always come back to that illustration, Lord, about how all the maneuvering in America from those who are unemployed, on disability, whatever, they still get more money than 96% of the world's population, and then the most wealthiest people in America are in the 98th percentile. So we are blessed as a nation, even in the midst of the greatest trials and terrible things that are going on. Um, Father, we praise you for being the God who sends many blessings. We praise you for being the God who loves us despite ourselves and our own stupidity sometimes. Um, Lord, the errors that we make. We confess our weakness and our need to you. We know that we have erred. We have been in sin. We have done wrong. We have lost valuable, important insights that we get back then from your Holy Spirit as you call us out of the darkness, you call us away from sin, call us to be your church, call us together, call us to reach out. Lord, we just pray that you continue to do all of those things. We do pray that you would uh, maintain the hedge of protection around each one of us in our church as we serve you daily. We want to praise you about some amazing things that have happened at the same time, but we want to lift up to you serious, serious concerns. Lord, some of us know what it's like to be in such psychological difficulty, struggling so much emotionally that you would consider taking your own life. Now we know somebody who's done that, tried to do that. Lord, we pray for them. You lift them up today. Let them know that they're loved. What a waste it would be to succeed at such a foolish attempt. Father, we pray for those amongst us who are struggling psychologically and emotionally even now. We pray for those who are isolated because they, gotta, they feel like they've got to be at home or they're pulled back because they don't know what's going to go on. We pray for those who are wrapped up in the conspiracy theories we hear about online and they're, they're struggling emotionally psychologically because they're concerned about what's going on in politics or because of world affairs, or because of the pandemic, or because of the, the disease, or the virus that caused the disease, or, Lord, that just goes on. We pray that our eyes would be on you, that we would not be looking at the other sheep, but looking at the shepherd, Lord. We pray for Jason and what's going on with his stomach. We pray for Arjun, what's going on with the radiator. We pray for this worship time, that it would honor you, that it would glorify you. We pray for Karina's grandma, she tries to take care of Praying his grandpa, pray for him as he struggles with his stomach and the cancer and the issues in his heart. 
so much, so little of it working. I pray for that pastor that I read about this week who's only got 10% of his heart working and he's leading his church and preaching this Sunday. I pray you'll give him strength in the pulpit. I pray you'll give him boldness. Father, I pray that as the word of New Heights Fellowship, which is not our word, it's nothing about us and nothing that we created, it's the word that's your word. Lord, as you speak through it, as it gets out to the world and now it becomes available to the whole world, that the sermons that that are online are becoming available to the entire world. Lord, we pray that you would bring those messages, your messages, your word, home to hearts that desperately need them. And whatever we do, Lord, we pray you'll get all the glory for it and we'll realize it's not about us. Father, we pray that we would not be worried about this world, that this, this neighborhood, these people that we're praying for, not be worried about this, worried about this world, but that we would recognize Jesus as Lord and trust Him and be able to say that we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Lord, help us in all our ways acknowledge Him. And we know, Lord, that you will make our paths straight. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Children up front, this is a motion song, and I'm gonna do my best to sing and do that at the same time. Come on. Motions. Up, up, up. I know it's hot, you'll be fine. Get up. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. Come on, we're not the day they crucified. Let's go back to the spot. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Up, up.
Praise the Lord. Good stuff. Okay, before we do anything else, you have a minute to think here. We're going to do a brief meditation together as a team on the verse that I mentioned to you before. It comes from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. A lot of us have probably memorized this over the years. If you've never memorized it, I do encourage you to do so. But meditating on it for a moment will help you to do that. So put your thinking caps on, and let's think deeply on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Okay? The first it says, stay in. Turn around and look at me. Listen to what I'm saying. Okay? Thank you. Alright. Verse says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, what does it mean to trust? Not a rhetorical question. Go ahead. What does it mean to trust? Okay? Trust people. So, what does it mean to trust people? To believe what someone does and says is true. Okay? To believe what someone does and says is true. That's absolutely correct. Is there more? Go ahead. Okay, put faith in an individual. Okay. Or a thing, I would say, right? You can trust you trust the chair you're sitting on, in a way. Right? Not that it's making an intentional choice to hold you up, but that it's capable of doing so. It has capabilities, right? So put faith in an individual or a thing. Good. Anything else? Okay. It says, trust in the Lord. Alright? What first of all, what is a Lord? Simple. This one's simple. I say it a lot, so hope you get something like it. What's a Lord? Somebody? Someone who tells you what to do and you do it. There you go. That's Dan, that's Pastor Dan definition textbook. Data. I'm gonna ask you again. And that's the last time. Alright? So a Lord, someone tells you what to do and you do it. One of the classic examples of that comes from feudal England. That's where the word kind of like comes into English most heavily at. And it used to be that the lord of the land literally had the rights to everything in the land. So, for example, if you were going to get married, if a man was going to get married, the lord of the land had the right to sleep with his wife on her wedding night before the man could sleep with her himself. Now, that's not right. That's unjust, right? That's not biblical. It's not godly. It's a wrong thing. But it gives you an idea of just how strong lordship is. The Lord is entitled to everything in his terrain, everything in his kingdom, right? And so the Lord is someone who tells you what to do and you do it, period. Anything else about a Lord? Uh-oh. Anything else about a Lord? Okay, so now we have the phrase, trust in the Lord. So what would that mean? We take it, those parts that we just have, we would say to have faith in someone, so we have faith in Jesus, right? <clears throat> Trust in the Lord. Go ahead, what are you going to say? Trust God. Trust God. Good. It's simple. Trust God. And we talked about trusting, having faith in them, believing what they say, believing that they are who they say they are, what, they'll, what they do, right? Anybody else want to add anything to trust in the Lord? Okay. It has a clause added on to it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. First of all, what is your heart? And obviously, you know this is not the muscle that beats in your chest that moves your blood, right? So what is your heart? The thing inside you that drives you. Okay, good. The thing inside you that drives you. What else? Okay, so it's emotional center. Where you make your decisions emotionally, where your emotions hit. What else? I read a definition recently, I'm going to slaughter, but I get it to you. Um, it, it's the 
the internal part of a person, like the soul, kind of like that internal part of a person where things hit you most deeply and where they have to be dealt with, right? So you have to deal with things internally in your heart, that center, that core, seat of emotions, right? Anybody else? All right. So then what would it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Whole phrase, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Just restate it in your own words. Good. Trust with no reservations, no doubts. I think if you're going to hold something back, like, I trust that the chair will hold me up, but that's, that doesn't have nothing to do with my heart. You know what I mean? Like, I just made a mental decision to trust. I think it'll work. You know? But this is something deeper. Hold nothing back. No reservations. Okay? And it, it says trust the Lord with all your heart. So that, remember, the heart is the center of your being. It's where you make all your tough decisions. It's the core. It's the emotions are there. Everything like that. And so you're going to take all of that and trust the Lord with it. Right? So every decision, every feeling, every ache, every, every hurt, sometimes someone says something you don't like. All of trust in the Lord with all of that. Your decision-making processes. So, like, I, I think I'm going to be, a, I'm going to grow up and go to college, or I'm going to grow up, I'm going to not go to college. I think I'm going to marry this person, or I'm not going to marry this person. You trust in the Lord with all of that because that's where you make all of those really deep, strong life decisions. And then it says, and lean not to your own understanding. Okay, lean not to your own understanding. So, first of all, to lean is what? What does it mean to lean? AJ, talk to you do a little out here. You want to lean on me, or should I lean on you? Okay, stand right next to me. Okay, lean on me. Go ahead. Okay, but I'll lean on you. Is that okay? Okay, here we go. I'm going to lean on. Lean on it. Can you hold me up? i lean on you completely. <laughs> okay. All right. So to lean on something is what? What? Let it hold your weight. That's good. Who said that? Oh, right. thank you, Martin. That was very good. Okay, the let it hold your weight. That's a really good way of, of thinking of leaning on, right? So, all that I am, I'm not holding it up anymore. I'm leaning. So I'm letting that thing, which in this case is, it's going to say what it's not, but we know it's the Lord, right? So it's trusting in the Lord with all your heart. This is, and lean not to your own understanding. What is your own understanding? The way you perceive things. Yes, the way you perceive things. Anybody want to add anything? So, most of what we understand comes through our five senses, right? But occasionally we get like an intuition, an idea that goes beyond our senses. We put some few facts together and go, maybe... It could be this, and then you go check it, and you're wrong, or you go check it, and you're right, right? So it's all of that put together in your perceptions, in your in the crucible of your mind, of your thought, of your heart, all of that put together to figure out what you best understand. You know what you're responsible for out of the Bible? As much as you understand. To understand something is to stand under it. So when you understand the Bible, you will stand under the Bible. You won't stand under it if you don't understand it. Bottom line. So you're responsible for what you know. If a child was about to hurt themselves, 
and you know it 30 seconds before it happens, and you do nothing, right? You're culpable for that. It means you're guilty. You're responsible. You have a responsibility because you knew you're supposed to do something. Somebody's about to run out in front of a car, no matter their age, whatever. So they're going to step out in front of a car, and you know it, it's time to do something about it. You're responsible for that. Well, this is what we're talking about, your own understanding. You're responsible for what's in your own understanding, but this says, don't lean on that. Don't trust. Don't let that be what holds you up, your own understanding. Right? So now the whole thing is, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. So let's put it this way. What is it telling us we should do? Say it simple. Somebody give it to me in your own words. What is it telling Jason? Lean on God's understanding. Okay, lean on God's understanding. Lean on God completely, right? And nothing else. Because in your understanding, you will find a lot of safe ways of doing things. Or safe places to be, right? Or whatever. But this is saying, don't trust that. Don't go there. Instead, as Jason said, lean on God's understanding. God knows so much more than we do. Lean on Him completely, right? Almost done. In all ways... Acknowledge him. Now, acknowledge is a big word, okay? But if you just say in all ways, not always, like as in time, like it always happens, but it's in all ways. What does that mean? That's not normal language. We don't normally say that. So how would you say it? Yeah. All ways you could possibly go. Right? So all directions. That was one. Good. Anybody add anything to add? If you had a single word that you would replace ways with other than directions, which is good, what would you replace it with? Circumstances. Circumstances. You're going to go with a big word, okay? You probably would. Alright? What? Okay? In all things. There actually is a translation, I think, that says things there. Uh, another one says paths. Right? So you do that. Um, I, when I meditate on this verse, and I've done it once before, I, I like the word choices. But I also like directions. I haven't thought about that. That's, that actually works for me as good or better than choices. So whatever way you go, you say it this way, whatever way you go, wherever you go, whatever choices you make, you can say all of that if you want to. Acknowledge him. What does it mean to acknowledge someone? Somebody that's familiar with big words. I don't know if I can literally define acknowledge. Acknowledge. What? Recognize or approve. Okay? So realize that he's there. Recognize him. Give him his position. Accept that he's real. Realize that when you do things your own way and not God's way, your actions are saying that you don't believe in God. Even though you do. You say, well, I believe in God. But then you do things your own way and don't do them God's way. Your actions are saying different than what your mouth is saying. What is it called when your actions say something different than what your mouth says? It's called hypocrisy or lying, right? Is that what you're going to say? Lying? Yeah, perfect. All right, I was going to say lying. So, in all your ways, everything that you would do, recognize that he is there, that he is real, that he has a right to be Lord. And the last part is the promise. And he, and the he is who? God or Jesus, both, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all. In all ways, acknowledge him, and he will, 
doesn't say he might, or can, or he may, but he will. So this is a promise. This is what God will do. If you do the things we've just been talking about, this is what God will do. Direct. What does it mean to direct? We just had this come up in conversation at the dinner table recently. I forgot all about it. Go ahead. Tell someone what to do, right? So a, a, the perfect example in our day of a director is somebody who's making a movie, right? And they tell all the actors when to talk, tell them how loud to talk, how soft to talk. Let's shoot it again. I didn't think you looked really sad, right? That kind of thing. They're directing, right? But he will direct thy path. And there we are with that, that word, your way, your path. Hadas, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. But if you do this, Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, 5, 6 says, if you will, trust in the Lord with all your heart, mean not to your own understanding. Or as Jason said, trust God's understanding in all ways, acknowledge and recognize him. He will direct your path, your ways, your choices, everything. That's the promise. Pretty good stuff. Okay? Now, you pray about that, you meditate on it, you look at it, and you go, so Lord, I don't feel like I'm doing everything that you have me to do. I'm doing some things I don't do that you want me to do. So then you're breaking your side of the deal. Okay? Now, remember, this comes from Proverbs, which, on the one hand, makes it a little weaker in the fact that that means it's not a promise. There aren't promises, per se, in Proverbs. But on another hand, it makes it even more powerful because what it is is an observation of Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, and what he's actually observing is the way it actually works. Given the most wisdom of any human being that ever lived, he saw that if you do this and this, God does this. Because without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit of God, he saw if you do this and this, God does this. That's how it always works. It always happens that way. So that's pretty powerful stuff. Which means if you don't do the top part, then you don't have any promise that the bottom part is going to happen. Right, or, or any observation. That's not the way it works. Okay, so we've done our little meditation. I remind you that meditation is our spiritual discipline of the six months. We go through November. We encourage you to meditate on the Word. Yes, memorize the Word. That's great. Yes, pray. Yes, spend time in worship. Yes, spend time taking the Bible in. Right? But meditate, meditate. Okay? Think about what it means to you and apply it. What, can, what will change me? All right? How about you? Have you done that this week? Did God say something to you? Did God show you something that you'd like to share right now? Anybody? Not Zoe. She's sleeping. God showed Zoe that she's safe. She's amongst her family. And once and twice. Okay, is there a young person in the room who would pray for us?
<clears throat> so last week we started looking at uh, the song of Hannah. Hannah's story, very much in brief, is that she was barren by the Lord's choice. She, he made her unable to have children. Uh, she prayed and committed to God that she would commit her son into the Lord's service if she ever had one. Uh, there was an, an episode that took place between her and Eli, who was the high priest at the time, where he thought she was drunk. But it turned out you know, she wasn't. She was praying to the Lord, uh, probably in the Spirit. And uh, she told him so, and they prayed together. She eventually has a son, and now this song takes place after her son has been born and weaned. He's no longer being breastfed and kind of ready to be off on his own if necessary, if absolutely necessary. And she takes him up, they do the necessary sacrifice and so on, and she's dedicating him to the service of the Lord as she promised God. Then in the first two verses of the song last week, we saw that her natural response, natural outflowing response was joy, strength, and a big mouth. Joy, strength, and a big mouth. That was, that was what we got out of the first two verses of the song from last week. If you'd grab your Bibles, if you brought one with you, if you don't own one, let me know. I'll get you one. If you've got one on your phone, that always works too, but uh, sometimes you need to read along and so you can kind of gather the text at the same time as the person who's speaking or preaching, whoever that might be, and maybe get a little excited because Sean's ready to yell, aren't you, Sean? You ready? Going to make a loud noise in a second? All right. So we're going to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't even hear you. Did you yell? Amen. All right. Thank you, bro. All right, we're in it now. Okay, so it's 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 3. And by now, if you have followed the model set forth by Hannah, because God is a, a rock, because God is our shelter, because there is no one besides him and so on, you should have joy, strength, and a big mouth. That's what we got to by the end of verse 2. Then you notice that the person changes. So when I say in the language, so before she was talking about my mouth, she said, there is no one holy like the Lord. And here she is talking to someone. And the someone that she is talking to are the people that are naysayers, the people who speak out against God, God's enemies, her enemies, so on, right? So she says to them, this is what we would say then to somebody who has been against us or been against God. She says, boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. So it's interesting because, first of all, this boasting, where it talks about boasting there, the, the literal word that she uses just means to talk a lot. And then it says, no more so very proudly. So you're not supposed to talk anymore so very proudly. That's what we say to those who are speaking against God or against us once we have um, joy, strength, and a big mouth. Now the problem is, if you have a big mouth, as we talked about last week, without the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord, you might be somebody who's talking very proudly, right? You say, well, I see something I don't like, I see a problem, I see something I need to comment on, and you go and you comment, right? And you jump right into commenting on whatever it is that's going on, because you've got a big mouth, but not the joy and the strength of the Lord, right? If you have the strength of the Lord, but not the joy, then, as we talked about last week, you may find yourself doing some things and things that are not necessarily tied to what God would do in us. Boast no more so very loud, so very proudly. Don't talk so much and so proudly, he's, she says. 
proudly. Now this is translated proudly, but the word actually here is uh, gaboa. Gaboa sounds like a baby word, but it means elevated, like lifted up, like what you say is important. In other words, don't talk so much like what you say is important or lifted up. Then do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. And the word for arrogance here is authok, and it actually means licensed, like you have authority, like you should be able to talk. So in other words, she says, don't talk so much, so elevated, and as if you have authority, as if you are licensed. Don't let that kind of speech come out of your mouth all the time, she says. She says, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. God knows. Actually, the phrase that's here is very interesting. There's no verb in this verse, the second part of verse 3. It doesn't say God is a God of knowledge. It doesn't say God knows. What it really says is all-knowing God. All-knowing God or omniscient God. And they, they kind of translate it to mean that our God is all-knowing. or our God. One translation says that. Our God is omniscient, another one says. The Lord is a God of knowledge. He knows everything. And notice that because there is no verb, it, means, it doesn't mean he knows everything because that assumes that he could not know something. Right? It's not that he knows everything, but that knowing is part of who he is. It is an identity trait. Right? So, for example, knowing about cars might be part of who, who RJ is. But RJ, are there things you don't know about cars? Yeah. Right? But God is different. God, God doesn't know about people or know about what you say or know what you say is true or not, right? God has the trait of all-knowingness. So you might say that the verse could be translated, although this wouldn't be proper English, for the Lord, all-knowingness, right? God literally knows everything and has no limits. And because of that, you might think that you can get away with it by saying one thing and doing another and being very convincing, but God knows. And that's what she's saying. Now that we, if we think we have joy, strength, and a big mouth, lots of other people might say that too. They might be happy. They might think they feel strong. And they might say something, right? But she says, be careful. Don't speak much elevated and licensed. Okay? Don't, Act like you are there, like you know. That's not the goal. Verse 4 then says, and she's going to give us some, some quick illustrations. They're going to, I'm going to go through them kind of quickly here, down to about verse 7. Most of 8, actually. It says, the bows of the mighty are shattered. And the bows, of course, are like bows and arrows, and they represent the power of someone to strike out and do something, a warrior. They're shattered. But the feeble gird on strength. Because they didn't have it, now suddenly they've got it. They're good. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread. They had everything and now they're working for somebody else just to have enough to eat. For those who were hungry, cease to hunger. Those who had nothing, they, they now have everything they need. Even the barren gives birth to seven. So the one who could have no children, now she has children. But she who has many children languishes. She had a lot of kids, but what the word languishes there implies that now all of her kids are dead or dead in the Lord. They're distant from God. And so she feels hopeless. Verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. I think that was obvious. He brings down to Sheol. That means he sends people to the netherworld, to, to what they would call hell. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. He lifts people up. 
The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. So he puts you to a low position. He also lifts you up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles. In other words, they had nothing. They were in ashes, grieving their situation. Now he lifts them up to sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. That means the very things that the earth is built on belong to God. And he set the world on them. The system that's in place, the whole world, everything works, still works because God still allows it to work. It works the way God makes it work. And he can alter and shift things to be what they want to be. There are rich people who are now poor, poor people who are now rich, or strong people who are now weak, and so on. There's the mightiest, oh, how they have fallen. And the weakest, oh, how they have risen. If you sit in this room today and you think you are strong and your strength is outside the Lord, beware, you're headed for a fall. If you sit in this room today and you think you are happy, but your happiness is outside the Lord, beware, you're headed for a fall. If you sit in this room today and you're struggling, you're in a dark place, a difficult place, beware, God will lift you up and bring you out of that place if you give him his proper place. And he can do it because he owns it all. Santa, sorry, Hannah says that coming out of having joy, strength, and a big mouth, or one or two of those without all three, can leave you in a position of wanting to speak much and loudly elevated, of much importance, and feeling licensed, like you know what you're talking about. And she says, be careful. If you don't actually, you're in a bad spot. She sees why this is going to be a problem. The three things I want you to see in this text then. The first one is about pride and arrogance. Here's the thing about pride and arrogance. They creep in. As soon as you start feeling okay about something, as soon as you start thinking you got it, you figured out how to do it, just bake a really good cake one time and see if you don't feel proud. You say, well, there's nothing wrong with feeling proud, right? There isn't. As long as you remember that the person who gave you the ability to make the really big cake is God. But when you start thinking, I did it, I've got it, I've got it because I've just been trained, I've got it because I've just, I'm there, right? I've arrived, I've finally arrived. When you start thinking like that, pride has crept in. Pride has a way, and so does arrogance, of becoming an ingredient. And then from becoming an ingredient, we like the ingredient. So then it becomes a motivator. So you want to be proud. I want to be proud of my kids. I want to be proud of what I've done. I want to end the workday going, oh, well, I did a good job today. I had 15 things I need to get done. I got 15 things done. And at the end of the day, I go, well, I feel better. I feel good now. I feel, I'm glad. Pride has a way of being a motivator. Your boss comes and says to you, hey, I think, you know, if you keep it up the way you're going, we're going to have to give you a raise. You're doing such a good job. Pride becomes a motivator. So now you're working harder. But you're not working harder. Listen, if you, if you can work harder because if you're proud of your job now, then you've already sinned against God before that moment because you were supposed to be doing it as if you were doing it unto the Lord in the first place. And now you're doing it because pride as a motivator has driven you to do a little better, which means you were not doing it as if you were doing it unto the Lord. And now you're surely not doing it as if you're doing it unto the Lord because you're proud. That's why you're doing it. So pride has a way of creeping in as an, 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 an ingredient. So does arrogance. And then as a motivator. And then lastly, as a governor. 
Once it's become an ingredient and then a motivator, it becomes a governor. And I say, I'm going to do this because I'm proud. I can do this. This is, I'm, I have this ability and I can do it. But the problem is, you wouldn't have any ability if it weren't for God. Proverbs 16.2, Solomon observes, I'm flipping to Proverbs 16.2, Proverbs 16.2 says, And the ways of man are clean in his own sight. So you look at what you do, and you say, I'm doing fine. You start to be proud of the fact that you're doing fine. Right? But the Lord weighs the motives. Why are you doing fine? Why are you doing okay? Why are you pushing harder today than you were yesterday? Morale becomes a key factor when pride and arrogance become an ingredient, and then a motivator, and then a governor. So now I'm doing it because I want to do it. Okay? Rather than because it's what God wants me to do. And the problem is, pretty much everybody does what they want to do. And you want to do what's going to make you feel good. Right? That's happiness. Except that when you do what's going to make you feel good, pursuing happiness, you forego the greater thing, which is joy. Again, provided by God. So you let pride and arrogance drive you, motivate you. First an ingredient. Well, this will be good. Then a motivator. Oh, that was good. Then a governor. I've got to do that to keep that going. As I'm fond of saying recently, and the Lord really spoke to me, every crack dealer gives free samples. Every drug dealer of all kinds will give you free samples because once you're hooked, you're in. So the enemy has a way. He'll literally come into your life in the form of a friend. In the form of a family member, it might be somebody you have a lot of respect for, a parent or whatever, and he'll say, you sure did a good job. I'll never forget when I was growing up in my house, my mom would talk on the phone. And when she would talk on the phone, she'd be like talking to my aunts and uncles and stuff, and she would say positive things about me. And I would hear her. She'd tell my Aunt Dee, yeah, he's doing really good in school and things like that. And that would motivate me to want to do better in school. He said, well, that's not a negative thing. It shouldn't be, right? Except it was. Because I always knew my mom was judging whether I was doing well or not. You understand? So I knew if I did anything poorly, so it was fear. If I did anything poorly, she would judge me as doing poorly. I also knew she was judging me. So if I did well, she would judge me as doing well. But sometimes then I would do well and she would judge me as not doing well because I didn't do well enough or I did something well that wasn't what she wanted me to do or whatever. And it, it messed with my head. And that's what pride will do. That's what arrogance will do. You start thinking, I have a reason to feel positively. And that reason is based on something other than God. Or with arrogance, you have a measure of confidence, a boldness that comes out of something other than God. And when you let those things creep in, soon they become a governor. And as a governor, God will know. God judges your motives. He knows why you're doing what you're doing. Is it so that people will see you? Is it so that you will look good? Is it so that you will feel good? If that's why, you got a problem. So how does this relate to what we're talking about? Joy from God, strength from God, and a big mouth from God will have you talking. You will elevate. You will communicate at a higher level because it's important. But the things you communicate, they will be coming out of your treasure trove, your relationship with the Lord. So instead of saying, somebody says to you, hey, you know, I really enjoyed that... Uh, 
sermon you gave. I really enjoyed that lesson you taught. I really enjoyed playing with you the other day or whatever. You were a lot of fun. You did a good job, whatever. Instead of going, hey, yeah, I feel good, man. Thanks. I, you know, I really appreciate it. Accepting that compliment for yourself. Will you deflect the compliment and said, yeah, I'm a, I was, uh, made incredible in the womb. My God made me of an incredible design. It's not that I'm good or smart or capable, but my God is awesome. Right? I'm strong because my God makes me strong. I have joy in my heart because God gave me joy. Are you going to give credit where credit is due? God knows. And Hannah was saying, we need to find a way. And before we're done, I'm going to give you the way. I'm going to give you the wrong way and give you the right way. But we need to find a way that our joy, our strength, and our big mouth leads us to an elevated form of speech that comes with authority that is still godly. Because it's so easy. To always have something to say when you're proud of what you know. It's so easy to always judge what someone has done and think. That's arrogance. Think that you're better, or you know better, or you have more authority. You should be the one. When you have joy, strength, and a big mouth, it's easy to do those things. But you can substitute happiness. You can substitute lots of things, creativity and capability of various ways for strength and wind up with a big mouth that does not honor God. And that's what she said. Remember, she was verbally put down by all of those people because she couldn't have a child. She wore a horn and they saw it everywhere she went. People looked down on her because of her age. She hadn't born a child. And she would say back to them, don't talk so much and so elevated and so licensed. I know you have pride because you have many children. And I know you think you have authority because you have children and I don't. You see how that works? And it can be on any topic whatsoever. Second thing I want you to see in here then is that God weighs all actions. God weighs all actions. To weigh something is to meter it out. It's to decide, is it right? Proportional response. In the federal government... When there's a, an activity by a foreign power, the you know, cabinet gets together and they talk about what would be a proportional response. So they hurt, some, they hurt an American citizen, so we're going to hurt a citizen of their country or hurt the officers who did that. We're going to attack the officers who are, hurt our people. And so they look for a proportional response that is not vengeful, but it punishes appropriately when a child acts up. Right? So the child that badmouths his parents, for example, and says, my dad's an idiot. And his dad hears about it. He deserves a proportional response. It does not mean you burn him with cigarettes or throw him in the dryer or lock him in a closet for 24 hours because none of those things are proportional responses. They're actually abuse. Right? They're villainous and evil responses. But there isn't a proportional response to him badmouthing his parents. It might be a crack on the butt. It might be a grounding. Right? Might be taken away, if he did it over his phone, might be taken away his phone for a period of time where you have to decide what a proportional response is. And so God says he weighs all actions. Not just the actions of us. Not just he's looking at our motivators. Right? Not just he's looking to see whether you're prideful or arrogant or whether you're responding out of the joy and the strength of the Lord or your own happiness or your own feeling of power. Not just that. He weighs all actions. Which means he weighs his own actions. He weighs the actions of lost people and he weighs the actions of saved people. He weighs all actions. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, flip them there now. 
Ecclesiastes, verse 12. You'll get in good practice of flipping around your Bible too. If you if you flip around, I don't mark these. I used to do that back in the day. Um, but then I felt the Lord kind of say, well, we all got to flip together. So it's good practice for me too. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. So this is the very end of the book. And in 13, he says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. And then in 14, he says, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And then over in Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24 Before I read this, and while people may be still flipping there, uh, Ecclesiastes 12.14 is basically telling us that every single action, whether it is good or evil, you can, you can know for a fact that anything that God initiates will be good. He will not do any evil. It may feel like evil to you, especially if you're being punished. A child always isn't too happy when he's being punished, right? He always thinks that's a bad thing. But the bottom line is if it's a proportional response to what was done wrong, then it is a good act. And God says he will weigh all that it, to see if it is good and evil, and he will weigh all actions good and evil. Then 9.23 of Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, and let that not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. You see? And that word boast there, I guess you won't be surprised that it means talk much. Right? So in other words, don't talk much about that which you're good at. Don't talk much about that which you enjoy. It doesn't say elevated or licensed, but what happens when you talk a lot? Let's say if you're in the room and you're good with football, you know football, you know people who talk about football, you know actors in football, you know quarterbacks and receivers, you know your team, you know your players well, whatever, right? And you like to talk about football and you get together and you talk about football and somebody says, well, what do you think of that new quarterback that your team has? And you say, well, I think he's good in this way and that way and whatever. And then he says, well, yeah, no, I agree. And here's what happens. Pride or arrogance creeps in. Do we really need, first of all, do we need to at all judge professional football players? Do you need to do that? Because are you a professional football player? Or have you trained the hours? Do you understand that the people that are they started playing in first grade, second grade, whatever, and they've been playing football for 20 years. They literally have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of hours on the weights and on the field. They've been tackled 10,000 or 20,000 times. And if they are the lousiest quarterback in the NFL, are they not a better quarterback than you or I? And, and I'm not saying that arrogance governs you or pride governs you at that point. I'm not saying that. And I'm also not saying anything about football specifically. What I'm saying is you see how easy it is to begin to feel a certain kind of thing. To add an ingredient in when you and your buddy are talking. And it could be football, it could be cars, it could be sports, it could be of other kinds, it could be camping, it could be games, it could be anything, that, it could be any job that you do. And you stand around and talk about how good, and, and, and as an ingredient, pride or arrogance has crept in. And God sees all of that. That's what Jeremiah 9.23 said. Let him who boasts, I'm sorry, backing up, 23, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. If you're wise, don't talk much about your wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. If you are strong, don't talk much about your strength. And a mighty man might be mighty in a variety of ways, not just physical strength. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. In other words, don't talk about your riches. And it might be 
a variety of different kinds of riches. You might know a lot of people. I know somebody said to me, I, I know a lot of people. I got a lot of connections. I got a guy. That's boasting about what you've got. If you've got a guy, fine. Have a guy. But saying, I've got a guy, begins to talk about what you've got. And that's a problem. And then look at 24. It says, but let him who boasts, again, who talks much, talk much of this, that he understands and knows me. You got something to talk about? Talk about this, that you understand and know God. We stand around and talk about what we are good at, our hobbies, our talents. We spend time on what we are good at when the Word says, if you're going to talk about something and talk about it a lot, talk about this, that you understand God and that you know God. Say this, say that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. But I delight in these things. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. You got something to say with your joy, your strength, and your big mouth. You need to talk about what God is doing. Listen to me. If you can't talk about what God is doing, then shut up. You got nothing to say. I didn't say it. God said it. If all you can do in a moment with a friend on the street, after a job, before a job, during a job, over a meal, if all you can do is talk about what's in your life that's good or what you think you know and give your opinion on something, then you have nothing to say. Because God will weigh your actions when you speak up and you give your opinion. God will weigh your actions when you talk out and say, well, I think so-and-so. The statement, I think so-and-so, is literally a spoon in the stirring dish of pride and arrogance. You think. It's what you think. Well, if you think doesn't line perfectly up with what God thinks, and I submit to you that it probably doesn't, then there better be a disclaimer somewhere there. Humbly we say, well, I think God would say, or you don't have to say what God would say. You can say, well, I think, but in your heart, you better know that you're trying your best to say what you think God would say. Him who talks much, let him say this, and let him say it again, and let him say it again, and let him stop saying other things. Let him say, I understand God, and I know God, and I know what's important in this life. And I'm not going to allow pride and arrogance to creep in when I speak out. Because He's God. And He judges, He weighs the good and the evil. And I submit to you what's implied when you combine those two verses is that it is evil to talk about what you are good at proliferously or a lot. Don't become a talker a lot about the things that you are good at. But rather, give God the glory. It says that He understands and knows me. That he knows that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. God weighs out his own actions. And because God has weighed out and intentionally weighed out and been very precise and very specific about the way he has treated you, about the world that you live in, about the borders in which you live, about the land in which you live, about the things that happen around you, because God has been very intentional and very specific about what he has done, you had better be be intentional as well. You had better, we had better decide to live the way God has called us to live and to speak up the way God has called us to speak up. I get it. You're smarter in certain areas than anybody in your circle. One of those areas, correction, the top area better be, 
understanding God and knowing who He is and crying out His good virtues, that He is a God who exercises loving kindness. Somebody says to you, this is horrible, I hate this, I can't stand this, it's a terrible situation I'm in. I don't understand how God could allow it to be this way. Then you say, I understand God. I know God. I don't understand everything about God, but I know God. I know who He is. And God exercises loving kindness. So however it makes sense, I don't know how it makes sense, but however it makes sense, this much I can tell you, that what you are going through right now, as bad as it may be, as much as it may suck, at worst, it is protecting you from something worse. Under the worst of circumstances, your horrible situation, as bad as it might be, the thing that you would cry out to God about, say, God, strike my enemies because I can't take it anymore. In the worst case scenario, that situation that you're in is protecting you from a situation worse. But in the best case scenario, it is leading you to a place that God is taking you, which will make everything perfect in his will. And everything is somewhere in between there because he is a loving God. Because he is a God who exercises loving kindness. And I know that. And when we're at the bottom he wants nothing more for, that, for us to go up. The problem is, sometimes when we're at the bottom, we're not at the bottom. It's just in our pride and our arrogance that we think we're at the bottom. Because we have become strong enough to know. Because we have decided our situation is bad enough that it can't get any worse. Because we have decided. God weighs all actions. Not just ours, but He is. He is very intentional to exercise loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And you'd better join Him in it. You'd better become very intentional about your choices if you want to represent this living God of ours. Or otherwise, this is a fact, pride and arrogance will creep in as an ingredient. Soon they will become a motivator and ultimately they will dominate. They will govern you. And you will say what you should never say. And even do what you should never do. And you will feel perfectly justified in doing it. Because you have joy, strength, and a big mouth. You will speak out for things that you should stand up against. Because you have allowed pride and arrogance, a feeling of accomplishment as small as it may be, maybe not even in yourself, maybe in somebody else, to lead you to a place you never wanted to go. The last thing in there, I mentioned this before, that there is no verb at the end of verse 3 there, that our God is an all-knowing God. And even knowing is sort of a verb, which makes it not quite correct. You could say God knows, but to say that He knows locks Him into time. You could say that He knows and He knew. Say that God knew, He knows, and will always know, and you might be getting close. It's a trait of our God. One could say that our God is knowledge, and you'd be getting close, except that you have to have a verb to say that, which puts it in the present tense. So you'd say, our God has always been, He is, and always will be the epitome. That means the perfect, standout example of all knowledge. Oh, don't trifle with our God, because He knows. I may not know. Your wife may not know. The person sitting next to you may not know. But God knows. God knows whether His words are written on your heart God knows whether you love the people in this room and to what extent you would go to love. And he went and set our, set our example in the extent that he would be crucified for us. God knows whether you cherish the resources of your life 
more than you cherish the relationship that you have with Him. God knows. God is the knowledge that we're talking about. God's knowledge is not limited. So, if you hide from Him at the bottom of the sea, He will still find you. If you hide from Him at the top of a mountain, He will still find you. If you hide from Him in a dark room, He will still find you. If you put up walls to block out so everybody thinks you're going to be okay, no matter what happens, that you're good, God knows what's in your heart. When you're hurting and aching and putting on a face that no one will know what you're going through, God knows. When you're in pain in your body, God knows. And as soon as you start to think in any way, shape, or form, He doesn't, the God you're talking about is not the same God I'm talking about. Because this knowledge of our God is a characteristic of our God. It is literally who He is. Maybe this is where Job got off course. Job was an honest man. Job loved God. It's interesting, we talked about lean not on your own understanding. Job was living for God the best anybody in his day knew. In fact, so much so, that God said to Satan, as Satan was up walking in heaven in the heavenly halls and spiritual realm, he said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Consider my servant Job. And, and God said about, and Satan said about Job, well, yeah, but you got him protected. If you didn't have him protected, he wouldn't be so faithful to you. And God said, well, I'll remove my hedge of protection. And, and immediately Satan began to strike him. But God said, you can't kill him, but you can strike him. And he struck everything. He took everything he had. The only thing he had left was his wife. And she said, you ought to just curse God or bless God or kneel before God or whatever your translation is there and die. So I don't think he really had her with him. You know what I'm saying? She didn't know her husband. Not really. She wasn't supporting him and what he was trying to do. In all of this, Job never sinned. But something clearly went wrong. Because when Job encounters God, and I'm going to read a small part of what God says to Job, in the chapter 38 of the book of Job, God says to Job this. He says, in, in verse 3, we'll really target from 4 through 6, but in verse 3 he says, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. In other words, you tell me, Job, were you... I'm sorry. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? And he goes on, when I, placed, when I made a cloud its garment, and ten, he says, and I placed boundaries on it, and I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. In verse 12 he says, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the sea, and they stand forth like a garment, and from the wicked their light is withheld, and the uplifted, uplift arm is broken. He goes on to chastise him. In verse 34, he says, Can you lift up your voices to the clouds so that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or who has given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heavens when the dust hardens into a mass? 
In 39.5, God's still going. He says, Who sent out the wild donkey free? And who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I gave the wilderness for a home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He goes on and on. The bottom line is, this is the mistake that Job made. It's the very thing that Hannah was saying, don't you make this mistake. You have joy of the Lord in your heart. You have strength of the Lord and a big mouth. And Job did, right? He corrected all those who came to correct him. But the error that he made was he began to think something of who he'd become. He began to think and even to say things when our God looks at the fiber of your being in our present day, do you understand that there is not a single cell, not one single cell of COVID on the earth that God doesn't know exactly where it's at right now? On a doorknob? On a hand? In a hanky? In a person? In every hospital? in every urgent care, in every house, in every bed, on every sick bed, anywhere that there is a cell of COVID, anywhere in the world, God knows exactly where it's at. Now, does your knowledge, does your understanding, does your capability to think or to speak begin to touch that kind of knowledge? No? Then you only got one thing to talk about. It's God. You say, I understand God and who He is. And not everything, never get it all, but this much I know. He exercises loving kindness and justice on the earth. And whatever's happening, it's happening because he's allowing it. Where were you when he framed the earth? Come to our conclusion, but I just want to recap for a second there. Remember I said that Hannah understood that she was going to give you kind of an, going to give us kind of an action plan out of it, how to handle what could arise out of having joy, strength, and a big mouth, the dangers of it. And she said, don't let pride and arrogance creep in as an ingredient, become a motivator, or govern you and your speech. She said, God weighs all actions, good and evil. His own are perfectly metered out. Become intentional about your choices to join Him in what He's doing. And He knows he knows everything. You got a question, he knows the answer. If you don't have the answer to a question, it's because you don't need it or it would not be good for you. He knows. And then it comes to this. I'm going to read from uh, Proverbs uh, 24. Oops, wrong way. Proverbs 24. And we're in the conclusion. Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 12, says... My son, eat honey, for it is good. Yes, the honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is thus. It means it is like that. It's good for you. It tastes good and it's good for you. Know that wisdom is thus for your soul. If you find it, then there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Hannah was saying, with your joy, strength, and a big mouth, search out the wisdom of God. Let that be your primary topic, your sustenance. Do that above all else. God 
is able to change anything he wants to change about the way the world is working right now. He can make the poor rich, the rich poor, the mighty weak, and the weak strong. There's a story about a master who summoned all of his servants, all of his uh, vassals to dinner. And uh, he put his head chair that he was going to sit in at the end of the table and then he let them all come in and sit. And he wasn't in the room at the time and they sat near his head chair in the order of how important they thought they were. And they kind of worked it out, you know what I'm saying? Amongst each other, but most of them didn't even have to. They knew, like, I'm third most important or whatever. And they all sat near the head chair based on how important they thought they were. And then when the time came, the master came into the room and they all stood there and gave him his abeyance, uh, recognized his position, whatever. And he walked around and he picked up his chair and he moved it to the other end of the table. God doesn't want to be close to people who think they are close to Him. God doesn't want to be working in and with people who think they know. If you think you have arisen to a certain place where you can make a decision outside what God intends, just watch as our God moves His chair to the other end of the table. Now, you'll still be at the table. But rather than being sitting right there close with God, you're going to be at the opposite end of the table. You'll still be provided for. You'll still be taken care of. You'll still be protected and given purpose. But you'll be seated, seated at the opposite end of the table Pride is a positive feeling that's based in something other than God. Arrogance is a measure of confidence that's found in something other than God. And these things creep in. See, God is, God is actively making us great. He's actively teaching us incredible things and making us stronger than we were yesterday and more able to bear trials and tribulations than we were yesterday. He's actively working on the great recipe that is you, that is me, individually and corporately together. And He's not put any pride or arrogance in the recipe. When He gave you joy, strength, and a big mouth, He didn't give it so that you could feel good about having to correct people, so you could feel good about having to lead people in a certain direction, so you could feel good about having to stand up for what's right or to stand up against sin. He gave it to you so that you could talk about Him. The question is, how do we avoid pride or arrogance? There was a, an evangelist, his name's a kind of weird name, Asahel Ashton, big dude back in the day. Uh, evangelized all over the world. He's gone to be with the Lord theoretically now if his profession was true. And they asked him, they said, how, with all of this going on, you sharing Jesus with all these people. He said, how do you keep from feeling prideful? And Asahel gave what I think is the wrong answer. However, it'll work if you need it. It'll work. But I think it's the wrong answer. And I'm not saying that he's a bad person or anything. It may have worked for him, and that might have been what he did. Now, you can use it if you want. But this is what he said. He said, all I do is every day I remain focused on my horrible sin. So he's leading people to Jesus, telling them about Jesus, and they're getting saved. He says, I remain focused on my sin, and that keeps me humble. Now, you can do that, and it's a tactic that might work. But I don't 
I don't think it's the one that Hannah was calling us to. I don't think it's the one that will work flawlessly for an eternity because someday you may be focused on that sin and it may not even be your greatest sin. What will work is remaining focused on God's incredible nature and our intentional choices to join Him in dealing justice and righteousness and loving kindness on the earth. That's what will work. So you always say, how can I again today do a better job not talking so much about anything else, but talking so much about my God and not just with my mouth, but with my actions. C.S. Lewis in his day said this, he said that uh, so many people have concluded that sexual sins are the worst kind of sin. But that's not actually true. Sexual sins are not the worst kind of sins. He said, and this comes from his book, Mere Christianity, which comes from his speeches that he did on the uh, radio all throughout World War II and they were, they were every day. He says this, if anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity as the supreme vice, in other words, using sex wrongly as the worst sin, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. Now, sexual sins are the worst of the sins of the flesh, but they are, but sins, physical sins, sins of the flesh are the, are the least bad of all sins. There we go. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong. Of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting. The pleasures of power, of hatred. For there are two things inside me competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. And the diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it's better to be neither. What are you going to do? God is going to give you, as soon as you realize His great works and what He has done in you, God is going to give you joy, strength, and a big mouth. What are you going to do about it? If you are sure and any surety that you have is not beyond a doubt in Christ, then you are surely arrogant. If you are okay or happy, feeling good, and any goodness that, that has arisen in you is not wholly rooted in Christ, then that goodness is pride. And it has already become an ingredient, probably a motivator, and soon will be Lord of your life. Repent today of pride and arrogance. Do not let it lure you away from the right way. Make your talk about God. Make your choices and your actions about God. A God who intentionally measures out loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth and we must join Him in it. You will become an expert in so many things in your lifetime. You may be strong. You may be good at overcoming pain, or overcoming misery, or overcoming tribulation. You may even get good at sharing the Gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. But the moment any of that becomes important, makes you feel good about yourself, 
You have opened a dangerous door to pride and arrogance. And soon you will no longer have joy of the Lord and strength of the Lord and a big mouth of the Lord. You'll just have a big mouth. Talk less about what's good about you, about what you like, and talk more about what's good about God. Do you know Him? Do you understand Him? If so, then you have something to say. And you better get busy saying that rather than much of what we say. Lord, help us. We can get loud. Lord, help us. We can elevate what we say. Lord, help us. We can license what we say. But Hannah would say, don't you do that. Don't elevate what you say. Don't license what you say. But elevate and license what God says. Somebody says, what should I do about this? Why don't you start with, well, I think what God would have us do about that is, rather than, why don't you do this? Or is your opinion so important? What God would have us do, I believe, is this. And then we'll become a spokesperson for God, which is what God is looking for, people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time, and we're going to have our closing song. This is the end of our service. And I ask you to take a serious look at what God has been saying through Hannah's song. We're going to hit it one more time, the final, the finale, the end of it, next week. Where I laid that in my heart. I started the sermon. Never done that. I hardly ever do that for eight days in the But God is speaking to us. I know He is. I know there's pride and arrogance. And in some cases, I, there's probably people in the room who don't know God. You say, well, I don't know God. I don't know what God would have me to say. Then just say, you start with this. Just say, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, lead me. I mean it for real. I want to turn my life over to you. And then having done that, he'll begin to teach you. He'll begin to guide you. From this Lord, you'll understand it better. You'll know God. And you'll be able to speak on his behalf right where you are. And then some people in this room say, well, I did know God. And I, and I do understand him. And I do realize that much of what I say is more about what I think or what I heard somebody thinks. Or, or what facts I fact checkers <laughs> when what I should be talking about is the God of the universe in every situation you need to repent and say yes that's me and say yes I will from now on talk more about my God who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness in the earth you are not there you do not have that trait. I do not have that trait. If anything, I would say, I know nothing. But one thing I can say, I personally have come into a relationship with God the universe. That's what I mean when I say no. And I've been called to represent him, and so do. Choose Jesus today, and I haven't chose Jesus. Choose to speak much about him in the morning. You stand with me then as we sing this song. This is our closing song, but if you're accepting Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior in earnest, for the first time today, you come up here, stand with me. And if you're saying, I am repenting, uh, speaking so much about so many things, then you come up here, make it public, let it be known, that's me, I'm talking about Jesus now. Sing this song, but if you're responding, you don't got to sing, you just come. Come on. Jesus loves you.
known the pride and arrogance as the master. Christians, we're living in the day 
uh, people seeking after money, or after sex, or relationships, or what's on TV, hours of screaming, less about talking about you living in the day where everybody's after everything, except maybe Jesus. And God, for me and for our church and for this people, I want us to be about Jesus. I'm tired of young people turning their backs on you, and I definitely don't want to be one. Lord, I'm praying that we are living in the day when we're living about Jesus. Let your church step up. Let your people be your people and cry out to you that we would have help, that we would have provision, that we would have protection, that we have purpose, and we would live it out. Lord, we know you are the God of loving kindness. We know you are the God of justice and righteousness. You enact those things on the earth. I was watching the Lord of the Rings, and he said, how that evil wizard Sauron, he doesn't share power with anybody. That's the enemy. That's pride and arrogance. There is no power shared with anybody. Lord of heaven, share in us. Work in us. Lift us up. Help us make our bodies into living temples. Help us make our mouths into a tool to speak boldly and loudly and much for our God out of the joy and the strength that is our God. And we know you knew. You were there at the founding of the earth. We know you knew you were there when Job went through his tribulations. We know you knew you were there when Hannah was unable to have a child. And she was blasphemed, talked bad about by all those who thought they were something that she wasn't. We know you knew you were there when Jacob wrestled with the angel on the shore and he said, I have not lost. Why should I not win? We know you knew, and you know, you know our circumstances, you know where every cell of COVID is, you know where every soldier is, you know where every citizen of the United States of America is, you know where every member of this church is, the situation that they're in, that they should be stepping out of, and serving, and growing, and living, and reaching out to others, and reaching new heights in Jesus every day. You know where we are, and what we've been through, and you will know, you will know the plights of the hurting you know the plight of the lost, and you will know the plight of the lost. You will know it until the day in which Jesus says, enough, when your patience is worn thin, when it's no more, and it's time to bring your people home. And we pray, Lord, that we will be amongst that merry and mighty band, and we will be able to say, we stood up, we spoke up, we let things go that got in the way, and we turned from pride and arrogance. We turned from anything that would have made us okay outside of our God, and turned to the Lord God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that was provided, and that it was every day. Until we come to be with you, we know you've gone to prepare a place for us, and that if we don't die on this earth and come immediately into your presence, that you will come again for us to take us to be there with you. We're living for you, Jesus. I would pray this in Jesus. Thank you very much. I have just now on There we go. You've been enjoying this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. In the meantime, check out churchtoledo.com. Check us out on Facebook at New Heights Toledo, lifestationtoledo.com, and on Facebook at Lifestation Toledo. This podcast is brought to you by the ministries of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church and Lifestation Toledo. God bless you.